Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Tom, I came to a realization. What's that? Well, you know, we're on, I think this is episode 104. Um, and for over a hundred episodes, we've kind of opened the same way, which is talking about, you know, identifying what the podcast is and introducing ourselves. I think we can move past that. What do you think? Can we just start talking <laughs> now? I mean, we've got the intro think- people right. have been listening. I think it's time. I think post a hundred episodes, we can, we can skip the, uh, skip the formal introduction. What do you think? Well, I think if people, yeah, are here, um, and they've gotten here by mistake 104 times, they still know <laughs> now who we are and what we're going to talk about. So, okay, I- I'm on All board. Right. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So this is our new intro. <laughs> yeah. As exciting as it is. Um, episodes will be shorter as a result. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought though, let's just dive into it um, and, uh, and, and get to it. So for today's topic, we're going to talk about new channels, uh, new means of reaching an audience through content. We're going to talk about LinkedIn a bit. There's some new stuff there that we want to preview for people. Um, some of it's been released, some of it's coming soon. Um, but yeah, let's let's dig in on that. Um, and and Tom, I thought I thought a good starting point, you know, is you you proposed this topic to me, and I think it's a good one. Um, and I thought it might be it might make sense to start the discussion with a preview of like. What does the landscape look like? Like, where have we been from a content standpoint since like the internet has, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't want to make this seem like we're going that far back. We'll do this briefly, but um, really since, you know, digital communication and marketing um, became a thing to, you know, maybe where we're headed next. And that'll, I think, set the stage for some of the discussion we have about, you know, new tools and, and new platforms, that kind of thing. So, um, so I think if we go back, uh, you know, we really are, we can categorize this in the way that people are talking about, you know, the evolution of the internet, like web two or web one, web two, web three. Um, so web one was really, I think from a content creation standpoint, what we're really talking about is obviously websites themselves, but blogging, right? I mean, that was kind of what web one was, was all about where, you know, people had um, their own platform. They were, you know, probably had an email newsletter to go along with their blog. And that was the main form of, of content marketing, right? Um, and and that was interesting because Web One was sort of marked by um, you know, ownership, right? We've talked about this notion about renting. You do publish on rented land versus own land, and and Web One was really about um, own land. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would also say the the model in Web One was very much a broadcasting model. It was a publisher, you know, putting content out and blasting it out to many. And that changed with Web 2.0, which yeah, was yeah. marked by dialogue and conversation. Yeah, right. And and really a, a shift from, I guess, what you would call decentralization to centralization, where the much of the that communication was happening on large tech platforms like social media emerge. That's what really what we're talking about. Um, right. Now, Google, obviously, from a search standpoint, has been very important as a, as part of web 2.0, but, um, but social media really, you know, uh, has been the, the, the new thing where instead of, uh, you know, building one's own platforms like blogging, blogging definitely kind of took a step back, a back seat as part of web two to social media. And, um, and that was probably the big thing. Now, interestingly, 
Um, yeah, I would say the one one aspect of Web two that is is more decentralized would be podcasting, right? Podcasting really emerged more in the you know in the last decade um, as opposed to the decade before that, which was Web one. Um, so podcasting became more of a you know the blogging of of the 2010s, I would say to an extent. But yeah, Web two is much more about you are you are you are borrowing an audience from a platform, and in essence, you're cultivating an audience on a platform that people joined and and you became part of that network you were publishing on on their terms not necessarily your own um and there's some risks with that obviously i mean everyone talks about you know the platforms own the audience you don't um necessarily um but as we've talked about many times it can still be really valuable um to to publish on rented land so it's not that one way is necessarily good or bad it's just that it's different and each one comes with with its own risks yeah yeah, in the what I think the key shift in mentality that people are still struggling through with this to this day, even before we get to Web 3.0, is going back to that. It was once a publisher's mentality, which is how do I get this message out to as many people as possible? And we'd measure things like hits and opens. And now it's how do we get people talking about our content? And we're concerned with metrics that around engagement. So it's less the it's it's not only broadcasting, getting it out, but getting people engaged in the conversation, which then gets more visibility. We've talked obviously a ton about the algorithms that govern social media, but without engagement and without conversation, you're probably not achieving the visibility metrics that you once thought were the only you know thing that were important. So that shift has happened. And so the interesting shift, and I want to get your take as we move into 3.0, is now there's another mentality shift, I think. Um, and maybe we should at least for people who don't know what the heck web 3.0 is how would you define there's a number of aspects to 3.0 mm -hmm. but um around content there's a significant one in my mind but how would you define web 3.0 now well i would say web 3.0 is you know kind of what is coming next if you believe many people um it, it would be the you know the various um, mechanisms enabled by things like blockchain technology that allow you to so essentially cut out the gatekeepers. It's a it's back to a decentralized world where you no longer are relying on big tech platforms to cultivate an audience for you. You're doing that directly. And you know, so no more, no more publishers, um, you know, in music and books, uh, no more social media platforms, at least the centralized versions we we have now. Um, and creators having, you know, people are calling this maybe the the golden age for the creator economy. Um, creators have the ability to cultivate an audience and importantly, make a living from that audience using things like NFTs and creator tokens and the type of cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens that allow creators to um, earn a living directly from their audience without having you know, someone, uh, some middleman standing in the way, essentially charging rent on one's work. Um, and, and sucking up most of the profits because um, they're the gatekeeper between the audience and the creator. Yep. And what I was alluding to earlier was the significant shift I think now is in terms of not getting out on social media and trying to broadcast and get engagement from everybody, but creating your own community within that community that you own. And now it's a tightly group, tightly controlled group of peers. There might be some activity happening on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter relative to that group, but you're really trying to build your own community 
Um, and to me, that's the that's where it all starts with 3.0, because if you don't have that, then you're not going to no one's going to care about your tokens. Right. No yeah. one's going to want to get Nixon coin or whatever. Um, probably never would anyway. But um, <laughs> so now it's I think we need to think in terms of all right, how do I build the word that Seth Godin's been talking about forever? How do I build a tribe? In, mm-hmm. around myself or my interests or how do I inject my voice and my content into a tribe that exists? I think that's an interesting shift going forward and surprise, surprise, it all starts with knowing who your audience is and having a niche because these 3.0 communities are not going to be generalist communities. They're going to be around a very discreet, I think, interest. Uh, and I'm a member of a couple. We actually have one too. So um, that I think is a shift. So with that all as background, Jay, why did you want to lay that as groundwork in terms of talking about what are the content platforms um, for engagement? Yeah, well, I think I just, you know, for one, it's important for people to understand where it's going. I mean, in, and it's interesting, you know, from from the standpoint of our audience, I mean, if we've, if we've got, if we were to take someone who's a practicing lawyer at a law firm, who's really, they're using content to generate um, demand for their underlying services. It, Web3, beyond the fact that it might become a really interesting um, area of, of practice in the years to come, uh, all things related to blockchain and decentralized yeah. autonomous organizations, what people are talking about are the new corporate structure, may not have all that much relevance, right? These are people who consider themselves as lawyers, not necessarily creators in the sense that we're talking about it, where you're making money from your artistic or creative um, works. However, I think being conversant in this is really important for people to understand because it can have all kinds of implications on the economy. And I think it's just, I think it's just good for people to know. But I think that, um, and it also could mean that the, the platforms that they're relying upon now for audience, like social media, you know, like the big tech platforms, are going to be losing some of the influence that they've had, right? Um, as that audience peels away and goes direct to consumer or direct to creator, I guess, in this situation. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind. Like some of this stuff we're talking about may not have immediate relevance. I like to think of it in terms of, you know, there's this notion of um, a liminal moment, which is kind of the, the moment in between two things, right? And I think mm-hmm. we're kind of in that liminal moment now, you know, where you're seeing some some shift away from web two in terms of people launching Substack paid newsletters and Patreon being used to, to um, patronize like podcasters that you really like, that kind of thing. Um, but for our for our purposes of our audience, it's probably, you know, something that they're gonna watch evolve, but it may not impact their content creation efforts um, tremendously unless unless that you know those members of our audience who are kind of going off to become part of the freelance community who are starting their own you know small practices where they're going to have c- complete autonomy over how they publish content they're not going to have to worry about their law firm sort of you know running that process for them and otherwise are creating you know writing books or otherwise creating content in different ways then it's going to become very relevant so um so just i think it's something i wanted to talk about because we haven't really done so as like this is what's coming and i think people need to be more conversant and aware of that um, in order mm-hmm. to understand like what, how that all fits in with what they're doing today, which, you know, probably is not going to look all that different um, in the near term, but definitely will be evolving over the long term. It, it, interesting. All of that's interesting. And what I was viewing the setup as, um, here's how I see what's this liminal moment. I feel like we have been and will continue to be um, in a world where there's increasing options in terms of whether it's a content platform or communication channel more and more are popping up every day it's so it's overwhelming right i wrote a whole book about this um 
or a very short book anyway, but I wrote a book and it's about this challenge is you can't be everywhere at once. And so how do you make the world a smaller place? And I think that's what people are doing when it comes to mm -hmm. Web 3.0. So they're trying to contextualize a smaller world of maybe more highly engaged members of a community. But um, I, I think that's how you're going to have to make sense of what well, we could get into some of these things, right? The things that I thought have come out recently that are interesting are the, you know, obviously Clubhouse has existed, but now LinkedIn is trying to launch its own version of that through something called audio events and video events, which is sort of like Zoom within LinkedIn. So they're trying to offer new services, um, as are all the other social media channels. LinkedIn's offering newsletters. So, you know, we used to think of a newsletter as something you would email out, email out. But now people are seeing people inviting you to newsletters, I'm sure, to subscribe. And now they're trying to capture everyone on that platform. So more and more channels, and we could take wherever you want to yeah. go, Jay, but more and more channels, if, if, if that's getting more complex, we need to find simplicity somewhere. And I think that's mm -hmm. where the next excitement for me comes with 3.0 is again, finding or building that tight knit smaller community and then figuring out a way as a creator to monetize it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do think so that that does cut back because what where we're at right now, I mean, it, it's the manifestation of the Kevin Kelly thousand true fans, which meant many people have probably heard about Kevin Kelly's editor of Wired Magazine, um, maybe the founder of it back in the day, I can't remember, but you know, he had this whole notion of find your 1,000 true fans, which, you know, as someone who is writing or creating, um, you know, doing anything, freelance work, if you can find a hundred, a thousand people who are true fans, as, and he defines as some, someone who's willing to give you a hundred dollars in return for whatever you're doing, um, because they're, they're raving fans about it. You can make a living, you know, you make a hundred thousand dollars, um, according to that math web three, maybe enables Kevin Kelly's, um, theory, which was put forth, I think over a decade ago to actually come to fruition, um, through the new technologies that, that exist. So, so, but from that's only, by the way, yeah. Jay, just mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt, but that's yeah. only the entry point, I think. So mm -hmm. I, I'm excited about if I can get a hundred or a thousand members to pay me a hundred dollars just to be part of the community. I think what, what 3.0 then opens up the door to is what are all the other ways that I can, and I, I don't think of, you know, only in terms of how I'm, how I'm monetizing an audience, but for the purposes of this conversation, there's multiple ways to monetize that same 1000 people. $100 might just get them in the door, but then there might be, you know, if you're talking like a membership community or whatever, there might be premium membership, there might be products that you sell, there might be a currency that you create, right, in exchange. So that's the exciting thing and why I think it's so important. It's again, we've been preaching smaller, smaller audiences forever. Well, now this is really starting to make sense, hopefully for people. Yeah, right. Well, and, and the point being, I mean, to your point, Tom, it, I know it, you don't want it to sound crass as if we're monetizing an audience or anyone, anyone who's doing that. But, you know, at the end of the day, people have to make a living and this enables <laughs> that living to happen. Because if you think about the economics of the creator economy um, currently, you know, you think about book publishing, for example, you know, if you go the traditional publishing route, um, you know, someone who's a big fan of yours is willing to plunk down $20 for your book, but only maybe, maybe two dollars of that is actually flowing back to you as the writer so you know yeah. for um what what how does that math work like if two million dollars are spent in that book like twenty thousand uh dollars is coming back to the to the creator to the, the author. creator right so, so it's insane i mean it's just it, it's just saying that you know this is enabling those economics to actually work out where people who really value what someone is doing um sorry i think it's two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> 
that's why I went to law school. My math is terrible. Not $20,000. Someone will, someone will fact check me on that, but um, it won't be me. I'll tell you that. As an yeah, major. None, nonetheless, the point being, it's, you know, the, the, the overwhelming uh, majority of that value is going to the publisher, not to the creator. Um, and, can I give you one can, other example real quick? Yeah, it's please. near and dear to my heart music, is sure. the music industry, how yeah. that's changed. So mm-hmm. you used to make all your money selling records, getting on radio. Um, God, there's hardly, there's almost no profit or revenue model for, to create music anymore, even for mm-hmm. the big artists. I mean, I, I, they absolutely do okay. If you're touring, you know, right? Build. I mean, that's the only thing they can do. You put out an album to tour, yeah. right? And so there's your, there's your tribe. There's your 1000 yeah. rabid fans. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you sell product into them. You sell merchandise and t-shirts mm-hmm. and hats and koozies and all that stuff. And that's how artists are making money these days. It's sadly, it's not through the creation of the content. Yeah. Uh, except you do see now the, the interesting thing is you are starting to see um, certain artists um, leveraging Web3. Um, I think uh, Kings of Leon, for example, put out, um, you know, an, an NFTs, uh, which enable their true fans to have special perks, access, tickets, backstage, like all these kinds of things. That's what um, that's what, you know, the promise of of the new um, the new era of the creator economy is, is offering. So you're seeing that in, um, in many different ways, um, you know, authors talking about, you know, creative, like it's the, the interesting thing about is, is the, the interaction, the ability to have a much more direct interaction with your audience between creator and audience. So that, you know, if you are the verifiable owner of an NFT released by an author or a series of NFTs, um, then, then you get, you know, you get, you're part of the book club, so to speak, that if the author is touring, you get to go meet that person in, in person. A lot of lot of interesting opportunities that are offered. But uh, but yeah, music's the other. Uh, go to any, I mean, uh, artists, like fine artists and, and galleries. I mean, there's every, there's middlemen in each of these, um, you know, or um, video creators in YouTube, right? I mean, you hear about this certain number of YouTube um, video creators who are making money, but it's such a minuscule amount. Most make pennies, right? Nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, or even I would imagine, um, you know, we don't have paid ads on our podcast, but podcast advertising too. Like it's uh, it's it's virtually nothing. So in any event, there's there's real promise there. And I know we haven't even gotten to the topic that we said we were gonna, which was <laughs> these new features. But I think that I think this is. Um, I think this is a topic worth digging into because, like I said, uh, both from a you know, I know we have a lot of people. It's a thought leadership project podcast. Our audience are creators or or would like to be, um, even if they're lawyers or consultants or in other aspects of professional services, they make a living a different way. But I mean, this is the era of the side hustle, and I know how many, like for example, people we're connected to on LinkedIn who are starting new things, coaching services, online courses, podcasts, writing books, like all of these things um, are going to be impacted by what's coming next. Yep. Conferences. You didn't mention conferences, but we have a, yeah. a mutual friend who just launched a very successful conference as well. Um, That's all right. right. So where do we go from here, Jay? Do we dive into some of these new platforms that are out there? And I'm curious on, on what your take in terms of should we be embracing these new tools? What do you think the viability of these are long term? And things pop up and go away all the time. And it's, I, I like to, well, uh, yeah. get your thoughts on them. Um, yeah. I have my own. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, let's, let's take, we have, we kind of put together a list. Let's take them maybe in turn. Um, I, I think the first one we had on our list were 
new-ish, right? Um, they've been around for a bit, but they—they're definitely they—they they were made available to everyone to utilize um, pretty recently, which would be new LinkedIn newsletters. Um, and you know, I mean, I'll go. I guess I'll go first. Um, I. I don't. I can't say that I've actually accepted an invitation to um, subscribe to one of these, uh, even though I get a ton. I was getting a flood of them. I'm sure you were too. I feel like it's kind of died off a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really get um, necessarily. I, I mean, the the one thing about I think once I saw the flood of people, I, I just couldn't see like a point of differentiation, and I didn't necessarily just want to regurgitate, you know, what I'm doing elsewhere. Like I guess you could aggregate your LinkedIn posts into a, into a newsletter format or something like that. But, you know, from my standpoint, um, I, I didn't see a lot of compelling offerings that were, that were being proposed out there. And I just, for me, it was like, this is one of those situations where, you know, do less, sell more to use the title of your book, Tom. Um, I, I couldn't see a value proposition that, that made LinkedIn newsletters make any sense considering I have an email newsletter. Um, and I, and I have a hard enough time keeping up with that. So, so my take on LinkedIn newsletters is, um, I mean, I get, I get it. It, it makes sense in some respect, but I haven't seen them catch on. And I was kind of taking a wait and see approach and so far waiting and seeing, um, I don't, I don't see a tremendous amount of buzz around these things. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I, both from a consumer of these newsletters and a creator, um, haven't justified whatever additional time this is going to take for me to consume more content or produce more content. To your point, so um, you know, pe- I, people often say that they call me an early adopter because they think I'm always doing things, and I'm not an early adopter actually. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm an early adopter. I'm certainly not. There's actually someone that lives to the left of the early adopter and that's the innovator. That's somebody who'll try anything new. And I'm not that I, I, I do take a wait and see approach. And it took me five years to embrace podcasting because I couldn't figure out the strategy for it. Right. So here's my take on email newsletters. It's another thing that, um, people are, it's going to like burn bright and probably die off quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year ago, it seemed like I was getting LinkedIn notifications like every 10 minutes that so-and-so has gone live and I don't see those anymore. So either people aren't going live or LinkedIn doesn't or knows that I don't care or what. So I'm thinking it's going to be the same thing here. Um, yeah. Not to say there are bad ideas. I just think all right, we now we have to evaluate everything through the prism of how much time do I have to create and how much time does my audience have to consume? And if this were to jump to the top of the list of priority in both of those areas, then I'd say yes. But currently, it's just another thing to try, and I can't advocate for that unless I know what the outcomes are going to be. Yeah, yeah. All right. By the way, it's if I could segue, the same is true of Clubhouse, right? So Mm -hmm. Clubhouse, I love the idea. I've been to a couple Clubhouses, uh, a couple meetings. They've been great. I just can't figure out if my audience has enough time to, like, also devote to clubhouses and whether I have enough time to also create content in a clubhouse consumption, you know, an audio, you know, platform way. And so now LinkedIn is trying to sort of create their own clubhouse and these events. So have you, have, have the events turned on for you yet? They have not for me. Yeah. Um, no, they have not yet. No, and it'll be a bit. So what we're talking about when we're talking about events, these are a new feature that LinkedIn is going to be rolling out. It's it's going into beta audio events and video events, two distinct things, but very similar in terms of how they'll function. So audio, audio events is LinkedIn's clubhouse competitor. So essentially, you'll be able to, as far as I understand it, as how, to how it'll function, um, 
start an audio event uh, and it will be an audio room similar to Clubhouse where people within your network and perhaps people outside your network uh, will be able to join a conversation you're having. So it'd be almost like having hosting a podcast episode um, that is interactive with your audience and happens at a specific point in time. Um, audio or video events, same way, I think similar function, but it, it'll be video based as opposed to audio based. Um, so yes, uh, I, you know, I've been, I, I love the idea, particularly of the audio events. Um, and I think that's probably just some, some as some, in some respect, uh, a reflection of my bias towards preference for audio. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I've never really, you know, wanted to sit in front of a computer and watch like video all that much. Um, but I, I really consume a lot of audio content. Um, and, and so I want this to work, you know, I want to <laughs> see this as something that, you know, I'll be really into the, the and I, and I, there's reasons for it. I can make a compelling argument. I think for it, it's like, you've already got, you can, you know, you've, as opposed to starting a podcast or going to clubhouse, which is new, like I, I don't have a following on clubhouse and having your own podcast where you're building an audience It you know, we've, we're up to 104 episodes it takes time, right. To build an audience and get people to pay attention, that kind of thing. When you're building something of your own, again, owned land versus rented land. So a rented land, like audio, um, format kind of program, that would be awesome where I could, you know, have a direct audio interaction with my, my LinkedIn followers. But, um, I, I guess I just need to really think through like, why would that be compelling? And, and is it worth it? Because to be compelling, it's going to take a lot of work and is a lot more work on content creation, something that for me, I can justify, like, I just don't know yet. And so that's, and also the, the second thing that maybe I'm, I'm worried about it working at all, like catching on, like, I think it, it could is that social media sort of by nature is not something that is, is structured, right? You can kind of dip into social media when you want, when you've got a moment, you can get out, like, you don't need to be on LinkedIn at a certain time of day, like the way you would need to be on a webinar or something like that to catch an audio event. Um, so I don't know. I, I just, I think that aspect of it where it's like scheduled maybe just doesn't fit within the social media ecosystem. Um, I don't know. I'm speculating about that, but there's, there's a few things about it that I'm really excited about, but I'm also, and I'm typically sort of a pessimistic half, glass empty kind of guy when it comes to these kinds of things um make me think it may not work all that well yeah well and i too as you don't know, have a preference for audio content um hosted this is not my only podcast i do one for fun as well so i love audio but i love audio now as a consumer i love the asynchronous aspect of it like you said i can download a podcast at any time and listen to it wherever and whenever i want i don't even have to be in front of a computer so, um, and obviously Clubhouse, you don't have to be in front of a computer, you just need your phone. And I would imagine the same is true of LinkedIn events. So, but I, my audience is super busy. They're not online. To get a significant number of people to all be online at the same time, um, interested in the same subject matter, that's where I think, I don't know if that's gonna, it's gonna be a heavy lift, but. Yeah. Um, and then the other aspect of what you said um, that I thought I was trying to reflect on as well is, um, going back to like how discreet is the content if the subject matter is like amazing and i really need it then i will prioritize it but that has to be super narrow 
-hmm. I could think of a few things that would, you know, light my fire and I would work my schedule around to make an audio event at one o'clock at on a Friday or something like that. So um, this goes back to your strategy. And like you said, how much time do you have to create new compelling content? The content, putting on your creator hat, the content has to be super specific. It's super compelling for people to want to prioritize in an actual event. And then someone said, well, you can record these events and yeah, but you can't participate live. You can Mm -hmm. listen back, right? To the recording, but you can't participate live. And I think some of the value of events would be the participation and the dialogue. So uh, I'm the same as you. I think that's most of it, right? Because in very few instances would a live audio event be better content than something recorded and edited and researched and thought, you know what I mean? There's so much good asynchronous content out there um, that it would be hard to hard to create something better and more compelling. So it is about, I think, the, the community and the audience participation. From a creator standpoint, when I think about it, like in in... I can't, I can't envision a scenario where you could generate as much visibility for your content through audio events as you could through like a written post. Um, because you know, whatever, five, 10, 15,000 views on written content. Are you, can you do that in in one of these audio events? Probably there's probably some people that will do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's a heavy lift. It's like, you've already got, you know, you've already made a significant investment in one thing, how much capacity do you have to try something new? I think that's, it really comes down to a, a you know, the, the classic problem of resource allocation. So we'll see, I don't know. Might be worth experimenting so, with. Do you think then are, it's just a good old fashioned LinkedIn post, the best way to get visibility for your content today in the year, well, let's call it January, 2022, because things could change. Yeah, I mean, for me or for, you know, as for someone more generically, uh, for you personally, but for our mm-hmm. audience, you know, yeah. so who's listening to this super niche podcast? It's yeah. people who want, like you said, it's mostly attorneys who want to uh, be content creators as a way of growing their business. Yeah. So for that audience, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that gets back to, you know, kind of the the liminal moment, right? I do think that um, if you're, you know, if you're a writer and you're in professional services and you kind of have a B2B practice, it's hard to beat, uh, you know, building an audience through your um, written LinkedIn posts. Uh, I don't know I, that the people whose attention you want to capture is there, the connections you want to create, the community you want to build, it still seems like the best platform to me, um, to be on. And, and I think that the ability to, um, you know, to put content out there that, uh, people can find, um, you know, written content helps sharpen our thinking. Uh, it seems like on that platform, for most people, it's the best form of content. Yeah, I guess I would say that. However, I do think that, you know, getting when I, what I was going to get back to as far as the liminal moment we're in, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do so uh, completely without still thinking about how do I build some platform on my own as well? You know, I do think it's important to have something, you know, whether that be an email list um, that you're building, maybe you're starting a podcast, something beyond just your LinkedIn followers that you can send people back to so that you can have, you know, I mean, whatever, in case link, all, all kinds of things could happen. LinkedIn dials back, you know, the distribution, um, I, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why you want to have a more direct connection to your audience um, that you own. So I do think that that, you know, using LinkedIn plus having some platform you own is probably still the way to go. Yeah. I like how you put that. So I think we should borrow from going back to 
Um, here, let me see if I can bring it all full circle why we went on a 15 minute diatribe before we got to the topic. I think you need to, as you're suggesting, embrace 3.0 thinking and work it into your 2.0 strategies. So I agree. Um, you might not, you might hesitate to think of yourself as like the center of some sort of community or the, like the celebrity in a community, but you need to think in terms of if you, you know, something you own or that you are a key voice in, um, that's, I think you need to make your world smaller by either being part of that or creating it on your own. And um, the best case scenario is you own something as you're suggesting. I like the way that you put that. You have some own land. Um, and if not, then you need to be a leading voice in a community. So uh, just, if I can, if you'll indulge me, I'll give you an example of what I mean in case people are like, what the heck is he talking about? There is a, you know, my other fun uh, podcast, Jay, about Yacht Rock. For sure. Right? So talk about super niche. Well, I don't own that platform, right? There's a Facebook mm -hmm. group of 27,000, I think now, people who just love that topic. And I, we created a podcast um, that speaks to that audience. So I don't own the audience, but we have carved out a voice in that audience. That audience isn't going anywhere. Um, and the role that we play there as content creators is giving content away that brings that 3.0 community back to our owned property, which is a podcast. And now that podcast could sell advertising. We have merchandise that we sell into that audience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So either if you can't own it, you have to be part of it, a significant part of it, but make your world smaller, um, make your choices fewer. And I think that's going to be the recipe thinking ahead to 3.0, but I think for now you got to still think as a 2.0 publisher. Yeah. Yep. I think that that does bring in a uh, full circle nicely, Tom. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that um, gives people some things to think about. Hopefully, hopefully we didn't create too much confusion for people. Uh, but, but I do, I do think it's worth, um, and maybe I'll, in, in the show notes, I'm going to link up to a couple um, podcast episodes. Uh, there's one from Tim Ferriss and there's a couple of others that uh, I think do a good job of, talking about web three and how you know the creator economy is changing and and what to expect and how this all fits in with you know what's going to be happening over the next whatever number of years in terms of decentralization and um you know the social media platforms may be losing some influence and and people you know the the, the world of content splintering more into micro communities so pretty interesting stuff so look for that in the show notes it is. And to be clear, I just want to valid or just verify with you. You don't think they've, they're losing their influence now necessarily, but they could in the short term, correct? Yeah, no, they're probably strong, as strong as they've ever been. No, it's a lot of this is this is very early stages. Um, so, no, people shouldn't be fleeing uh, social media unless it's, you know, for other reasons, because they just can't stand it, um, whatever. Uh, I don't think for most people, for most people who are in our audience, I mean, there is that innovator community that's, that's, you know, really experimenting with these tools and, 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 you know, you're seeing the the fruits of that labor in in the crypto world and the NFT world. And, and some of that's just a speculative um, bubble probably right now, but I think there's real utility to these tools. They're, they're definitely going to have a huge impact, um, whether it's what we're seeing now or probably what's going to come in later time. So no, the, the social media platforms still have tremendous influence. That's where the eyeballs are. That's where you can cultivate an audience and hopefully have some semblance though of what's to come so that you can maybe peel some of that audience off um, and be ready for you know embracing that more direct 
one-to-one, no gatekeeper relationship with those who are interested in what you have to say. Yep. Sounds good. Well, that seems like a good place to leave off. Are we allowed to close the show or do we just stop talking? Um, yeah. We- <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I haven't thought that far ahead. Okay, so so right. I'll let now, you uh, right. I'll let you do whatever your judgment tells you is appropriate. Here. Okay, well we'll leave it there, and we'll thank everyone for listening. And then the voice you hear next will be our outro guy. And uh, so I'll come, I'm hedging. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Tom. See you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.